Hi, this is David Sachs, and welcome to Spiritual Tools for an Outrageous World. Every week we do a little couples therapy between us and God. It's a chance to deepen and explore our most important relationship. Okay, I'm glad you're here. There's a lot I want to discuss today. I want to talk about reincarnation and peace. And peace is the ultimate vessel. If you've noticed, there are a lot of people who have, at least from the outside, it seems like they have everything. And yet they're miserable. And why is that the case? And the simple answer is because they don't have peace. So the rabbis teach us that if you have peace, that is the ultimate blessing because it holds all other blessings. And I'll give you an example of how important peace is. Sometimes when you analyze a verse from the Torah, sometimes the first word is the most important, but sometimes the last word is the most important because it's all kind of culminating toward that thing. Or if you kind of think of it as a ladder, the whole thing is trickling down into that last thing. With that in mind, the rabbis point out something very interesting about the word peace, shalom, which, by the way, is the name of God. And that is birkat hamazon, the grace after meals. The last word of that blessing is shalom, is peace. Birkas kahanam, the priestly blessing. The last word is shalom. The very last word of the Torah Shabal Peh, of the Talmud, is shalom. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? And so you see that all of these things trickle into this vessel called peace, and that peace is that thing which can hold them. So we need peace. And with that in mind, we have a once and an entire Torah phenomena in this Parsha, in Parsha's Pinchas, which is that God blesses Pinchas with the covenant of peace. And the word peace, shalom, which is spelled with the letter vav, it has a vav in it, the vav itself is broken. Now, how do you draw a vav? That's just a straight line, right? Up and down, a straight line. But there's a white space in the middle of the vav. So it looks like it's been snapped in half. So why would that be the case? And this is the only instance of something like this in the entire Torah. So you might say, well, it has everything to do with Pinchas. And it's reflective of the fact that Pinchas killed And even though Pinchas was successful in stopping the plague and saving lives, because remember, Bilaam, who is trying to curse the Jews in the previous Parsha, but every time he opens up his mouth, he gives a blessing to the Jews. And so he realizes that he's not going to be successful. But he gives this final piece of, you know, evil advice which is, he says, you know, the Jews can bring themselves down. If you can create a situation where they start committing immorality, then they will sow the seeds of their own destruction. And so they take his advice, and the Midianite 
women are used to lure the Israel nation into this situation and, and catastrophe strikes. And so this plague comes and starts to wipe out 24,000 people. Now that, that number should be resonant for you because there were also 24,000 students of Rabbi Akiva that died. And so there's a connection there. But anyway, now it's about to come worse. This fire that's blazing, this plague, which is like starting to ravage the nation, now it's about to get stepped up. Because one of the princesses of, of Midian, the daughter of one of the Midianite kings, comes, and her name is Cosby. And she's making a beeline to none other than Moshe Rabbeinu. Right? Not that Moshe would ever, 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 ever fall for something like this, but nonetheless, this is what's unfolding. And on her way to Moshe, Zimri, the head of the tribe of Shimon, sees her. Now, according to the Ishbitzer Rebbe, the Mea Shaloach, they were soulmates. And he asks her where she's going. And she says that she wants to see the leader of the Jewish people. And Zimri says to her, why do you want to see him? He is the head of the tribe of Levi. Levi was the thirdborn of Yaakov. I am the head of the tribe of Shimon. Shimon was the secondborn of Yaakov. So therefore, I have more provenance than he does. I'm more important than he is. And so Cosby, she's convinced by what Zimri is telling her, and she goes off with Zimri. And they go into Zimri's tent, and the entire, everybody knows what's going on in that tent, right? It's just more of this Midianite women activity that had, that had been going on and was now, this plague was spreading. And now Pinchas is like, you know, what's going to happen? Basically, this, this plague is going to ravage all of us. So he goes in and he spears the both of them. And the plague ends, and God blesses Pinchas with a covenant of peace. And yet, as we just said, the letter Vav of the word Shalom seems to be broken in half. So you might say, well, there's a certain irony to it, because while God is blessing Pinchas with peace, at the same time, He's saying, but is this how you make peace? And perhaps there's something to it, because look, if you can make peace without vengeance, then certainly that seems to be optimal. So perhaps on some level there's something to it. But if we were to end there, I think we would do the, the Torah and Pinchas, by the way, and Hashem also, a great disservice, because this slash through the Vav is just endlessly deep. So let's go more into it. So the Ramban points out very famously in his Hakdama, in his introduction to the five books, that the Torah is black fire on white fire. So what does that mean, black fire on white fire? So it means that on a very deep level, don't, don't look at a Torah scroll and think 
that it's just ink on parchment. What it is, is it's a map of the cosmos. And the black fire, the words, the words of the Torah themselves, those are things that you can see with your eyes, just like you can see the letters on the Torah scroll. In other words, those things stand for the revealed aspects of creation. And the white page, the parchment, again, don't think of it just as paper that the Torah is written on, or cloth, but rather, those are the realms, the spiritual realms, the dimensions that are there that can't be seen. They exist, but they can't be seen. So black fire and white fire represents those aspects of reality which are revealed and those which are there, but they can't be seen with the eye. Okay, very good. And we can go even a little bit deeper. Rabbi Ari Kaplan brings in his Sefer about Tefillin, another level to this, this, is, this interaction between white fire and black fire. He says that the, the white fire is ultimate divine light and that the black fire is the articulation in the material world, the fine articulation of that white light through tzimtzum, through the compacting of that light into the material realms. But it becomes very precise, right? Like the amount of DNA that we have, subatomic molecules, everything of this creation is incredibly precise. And so the way the letters are drawn are incredibly precise. And so you see between the white fire and the black fire, a model of tzimtzum going from divine light into all the particulars of creation. That's the point that he makes. Very, very fascinating. So if you were to try to sum up all of reality in one sentence, um, here would be my suggestion. All right, here's my pitch for all reality in one sentence, which is it's the interplay between the infinite and the finite. All of existence is the interplay between the infinite and the finite. Okay. So with that in mind, let's return back to the letter Vav of Shalom. Right? So you can, you can look at that word and you can say that something is missing. Right? Because there's a little space. There's a gap in the letter Vav. Some, something is missing. And toward, toward that end, I want to tell you something that the Eretzvi, Rav Aryetzvi Frummer, uh, Zechor Tzadok Levrocha, says something awesome. He says, it does stand for something missing. There is something missing there. Now, Kabbalistic we say, Kabbalistically, here's our, our first uh, kind of dip into reincarnation now. Our sages teach... Pinchas zu Eliyahu. That means that Pinchas is the neshama of Eliyahu. And we know that Eliyahu, Elijah the prophet, is the one who announces the coming of Mashiach. So, so Pinchas is Eliyahu. Now, in the end of days, it says that Eliyahu is going to come and he's going to unite 
the hearts of the fathers with their children and, the, and their children with their fathers. So, I saw in the name of the Sfasema something very beautiful. He says, when it says fathers, because the word is avos in Hebrew, it doesn't just mean your biological father and your, and your father's father, right? And I'm sure, by the way, avos also includes mothers, all of our holy mothers. But he says it means Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. Isn't that interesting? That in other words, our hearts are going to be joined with Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. I mean, they already are, right? But it's going to be in a more revealed way. That that Masora, that connection. You know, it says that when Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, and Sarah, Rivka, Rachel, and Leah were alive, that it was as though the Beis HaMikdash, the Holy Temple in Jerusalem, stood in the world during their lifetimes. Because their kavana, their holy intention, and their avoda was so great that they were able to bring that quality of light down. That means that the light is going to be pulled down in the most awesome way. And the oneness of God is going to be revealed in the most awesome way. But we're not there yet. We're not there yet. There's still a gap. And based on that, I want to just add a little something to the Eretz Fee's commentary here. That that gap is the separation that exists between our hearts and our minds. Right? Because as long as we have this orla, this encasement around our hearts, blocking our hearts, our minds and our hearts can't get together. That's one of the old-time classic teachings from the Kutzke Rebbe. It says in the Shema, it says, take these words, God is speaking, God says, take these words and put them on your heart. Al levavecha. And he asks a great question, which is, wait a second, what do you mean you put them on your heart? It should say, put them in your heart. What is this business, put them on your heart? And so Reb Shlomo explained in the name of the Kutzker, he said, look, don't kid yourself. How often do you think your heart is actually open? Right? So you put them on your heart so that in those moments when your heart actually opens, they'll be right there to fall in. It says, it says in two different places, one, God gives us a commandment, take the orla off your heart, this barrier off of your heart. And then elsewhere, God says, I will take it off your heart. So either way, we know in the end, it's going to be removed from us. Ideally, we're the ones who are going to be able to do it. But either way, it's going to be removed from us. And then the hearts and the minds are going to be together as one. And that's going to be the, really the next evolution of the human species. So I want to say that gap in the vav is the separation between the mind and the heart. But I want to explain Rabbi Frummer just a little bit better, because we've got three quarters of what he's saying, but I don't think I've communicated his thought clearly yet. But let's do that right now. So this covenant of peace was given to Pinchas, but the word shalom has this broken vav in it. And we know Pinchas is the same soul, is going to be reincarnated, as Eliyahu, who announces the arrival of Mashiach, when everything is going to be complete. 
where the hearts of our fathers and mothers are going to be in our heart. And the mind and the heart are going to be together as one. But it's not there at the present moment. And therefore, there's a gap in that vav. Do you see? Because in the future, in the future, that's going to be one united entity. But right now, there's still something missing because Eliyahu isn't here yet. When Eliyahu arrives and announces Mashiach, all that will be here. But right now, it's not here yet. And therefore, there's a gap in that vav. That's what Rabbi Frumer says. An amazing, that's an amazing... Can you imagine, just like, let's just take a moment to appreciate the Torah for a moment. (laughs) One little tiny missing space in one letter is giving you the whole future destiny of the world. Can you imagine what the Torah is? How holy the Torah is? That one little drop of missing ink can tell you absolutely where everything is going and what it's going to be? Okay, so now I want to learn it another way. By the way, this this broken vav is one of, as Rabbi Green, um, Shlita would, would, would call it, might call it, there are certain virtuoso pieces what, in, in the Torah. What, what's a virtuoso piece? Well, a virtuoso is a, an incredibly, incredibly gifted musician. And so virtuoso pieces, there are certain pieces of music that are incredibly difficult to play. Now, I know nothing about these things, but I know that Rachmaninoff is notoriously difficult to play on the piano, that you have to have a mastery of both hands, which is like beyond, beyond, beyond. So there are certain pieces that great musicians long to play to show you their mastery. Right? So, in the words of Rashi, certain turns of phrase in the Torah, and this is Rashi writing a thousand years ago, that cry out, interpret me, interpret me. And so they become these opportunities for the highest souls, right? The highest souls to just, you know, go to town, so to speak, and just like reveal like depths of what's there. So this broken vav is one of these examples, you know? You could probably just compile books of anthologized teachings just on this one teaching alone. Okay, so now I'm going to approach it from the complete opposite angle. We just said that there's something missing from that vav, right? Well, What if there wasn't something missing from that vav at all? What if that white space was actually added to the vav? In other words, and I I, I saw this thought, and I don't know who said it, but it's awesome. According to this way of learning, do you know what that seemingly missing space in the vav is? 
Hashem actually added white fire to the black fire. It's white fire on the black fire. There is nothing missing, folks. Something awesome has been added. All right, so now let's try to figure out what that means. Now, I told you that the ultimate vessel to hold blessings is peace, right? We want peace. And I also told you that why are there so many miserable people in the world, right, who seemingly have everything? So why are they miserable? Because they lack peace. Okay. So, so we need good vessels. And we need peace. Now, imagine you have a small cup. Right? By the way, cup is Yiddish for head also. <laughs> so imagine in this example, you have a small cup. And imagine that there's a benefactor who has not just a lot of fine wine, but has an ocean of fine wine. And you bring your small glass to the benefactor, and the benefactor fills it to the top. And you look at your cup, and you see you just have a little wine. (laughs) And you say to the benefactor, Why are you giving me so little? You have so much. And he says back to you, it's not my problem. It's your problem. I filled your cup. You just have a small cup. And so I think that this is, this resonates with me because I think that this describes in many ways our relationship with Hashem. Hashem, so to speak, in this case, is like the benefactor. He has infinite amounts of blessings to give us. But if our vessels are so small, if our cup is so small, that we're just bringing him this small cup, he can fill it to the very top. But it's up to us to expand our vessels so that we can bring him something larger and then he'll put something more in it. You see, imagine you want to just be wiser or holier, right? You want to be better. You want to be more elevated. You want to know what's going on, not just in this dimension, but in higher dimensions. And you say, Hashem, why are you being so stingy with your secrets? Why aren't you sharing with... I want to know too. So I will, you know, make up this... uh, conversation, just to illustrate the point. Shem says, um, so to speak, oh, I, I am overjoyed to share all with you. Uh, how long do you learn each week? <laughs> well, you know, I, I don't know, on a good week, <laughs> maybe an hour. And God says, okay, so that's the size of your cup. <laughs> If you bring me a larger cup, (laughs) then I can fill it with more. So, you see, so many times 
we say, God, God, you're so great. God, all blessing is with you. And God, and you hand the ball to God. And God says, oh, I love that you believe in me. I love that you acknowledge me. And then he hands the ball right back to you. <laughs> and you go, you're like, wait a second. I thought my work was done. I thought I did what I had to do there. So you go, no, God, you're, you're really the one. It's not me. It's you. It's you. It's you. And you hand the ball to God and God says, yes, yes, you're so right. You're so right. And then he hands the ball back to you. <laughs> this story never ends without us holding the ball. Do you understand? It never ends as long as we're alive in this world without us being able to do more and to create a larger vessel through our avoda, through our heavenly service. The ball is ultimately in our hands. And if we do more, we create a larger vessel and then God can bless us with more, which he desires to do always, always. Okay, so now I told you that all of life really is this interplay between the infinite and the finite. So if you want to hold the blessings of the infinite, you're going to run into a problem at a certain point because your vessel ultimately is finite. So at a certain point, God's just got to say to you, sorry, I did my best, you're out of luck. But that doesn't sound like God, does it? So now let's go back to the letter Vav of the word Shalom. <laughs> what did I just tell you? There's a way of learning that Vav where it's broken and there's something missing, right? Because Eliyahu's not here yet. Mashiach's not here yet. That's one way of learning it and it's beautiful and deep and true. But there's another way of learning it where there's nothing missing at all. That that little missing space, which appears to the eye as missing space, is God, listen carefully, is adding white fire to our peace, to our vessel. He's adding an aspect of infinity to what we can hold so that our vessel expands and expands and never stops expanding to hold more and more and more of God's light and God's blessing. Do, do you hear the idea? That's, that's what it is. Remember, shalom, the word shalom is a vessel. And it's the vessel that holds blessing. And there's a little white fire in it. God puts a little infinity into it so that the vessel, our vessel, can infinitely expand to hold more and more and more of God's light and God's love. Do you understand? So I want to go deeper into that idea. Because this expanding vessel, if we're going to give a word to it, right? Because it's the letter Vav within this word Shalom, which is peace. That means peace has to expand. That means that we have to expand to be at peace. I'm going to say that again because I want to make sure that you're following this. If you really want to have peace, see, you can have peace in a relationship with a, an important person in your life, right? 
And then the next day or the next week or the next year, you don't have peace with them. Now, okay, look, people are very complicated and there's a million examples that you can use, but let's, let's just go with one simple way of learning it for now. Because perhaps your vessel didn't expand to accommodate the new relationship or the growing relationship. In other words, for a person to be at peace, you have to keep on growing. Let me, let me give you another bit of imagery to help you with this thought. So I heard this from Rabbi Weiss in the name of the Zohar, and he said the following. He said that there is a downpouring of light that's coming into each individual. And the thing is, is that the light has to get out of you. In other words, one has to do something with this light that's coming into them. They have to do acts of charity. They have to do acts of love. That way, they have to do mitzvot. They have to, they have to keep the Torah. That way, the divine flow that enters into you is able to harmoniously flow out of you. Otherwise, it gets stuck in you. And what he described it as, stagnant waters. Have you ever seen stagnant waters that get dammed up and they don't move? Do you know what happens to those stagnant waters? They become a breeding ground for disease. So if the light that's flowing into you doesn't have a chance to get out of you, you know, the word disease, and I'm not the first to say this by a long shot, listen to the, listen to the sound of the word dis-ease. In other words, lack of comfort. Dis-ease. It's, I, I think, you know, okay, this is English. It's not the same as Lashon Kodesh. It's not Torah. But I think that there is something interesting there. So we have to let that, that light flow out of us. So now let's return to this idea that really a person has inner peace when there's growth. That your vessel, that the light keeps on coming down into you. So that if you want to remain in harmony and to harness all that light, you also have to grow out your vessel to be in harmony with those things. You have to expand and you have to grow. Otherwise, it creates dis-ease. So how do we do that? So we do that by doing more. You know, so, but what does that mean, more? You answer that question yourself. Each person has to answer that question themselves. Because it can be in any category. And it's all good. It's all good. How you define more. Right? As long as you're, you know, not insane. You know, more is, what is it? More charity. More patience. More Torah study. More kindness. More going out of your way. More thinking about other people. You know, I've told you before, but I, I, I think that this is just one of the great ideas. 
And I, I forgot who told me. Maybe it was you, Miriam. I, I, I don't remember. But moda ani, moda ani is the, the, the words that we wake up each morning, and we're supposed these are supposed to be the first words out of our mouth. I gratefully thank you. So we're supposed to wake up right with that attitude of gratitude. But but here's the interesting part, or the part that I wanted to share anyway is I heard that according to Hebrew grammar, it should be ani modeh, not modeh ani. And that Hebrew grammar was actually willfully broken because the rabbis said, how can the first word out of our mouths every morning be ani, I? How could it be that the first thing that I'm focused on every single morning is myself? And so at the risk of creating a ungrammatical phrase, they made sure that the word gratitude went first, thanks went first, and then the word I. But what that shows you is the utmost importance of outward focus. See, everything is a balance. Everything is a balance. And you know, I, I, I tell you teachings all the time from the Katsuka Rebbe. And the Katsuka Rebbe, you know, one of his big things was really, in, really very, very deep introspection. Before you do something, ask yourself, why am I doing this? Before you say something, you ask yourself, why am I saying this? So that is, that is introspection, and believe me, there's an exalted and necessary place for that. But if it's all about that, and you're blind to the world around you, then, boy, are we blowing it. You know, they say there's a, a phrase that's used mockingly by the rabbis, which is, in Yiddish, it's atzadik impelts, atzadik with a fur coat. So what does that mean? So they say that if you want to warm up a room, there are two ways to do it. You can light a fire where everyone gets warm, or you can put on a fur coat where you, you get warm. So that's very nice for you, right? It's very nice that, that, that you're at Sadiq or at Sadekis, right? You know, Mazel tov. But what about everybody else? So, of course, we've talked about it a million different times. You know, how do you reach out to other people? And it can't be to convince them of anything, you know? If, if you actually have a conversation, you you tell them this is... This is the way I understand it. And then hopefully that will make an impression on them. And you, you do it with love and not with argumentativeness or anything like that. Because the deep change, the only way any of these teachings actually become ultimately transformative is if people really want to do it and they really think about it. And you can't debate someone into that emotion. That emotion has to come from them. 
And if it comes from a debate, even if you win the debate, you lose. There, there's a thing called a Pyrrhic victory, which means you win the battle, but you lose the war. You can win the argument, and then the person hates you afterwards. You say, but I won the argument. Yeah, but now they hate you. So what did you accomplish? You didn't accomplish anything. You made it worse than it was before. No one wants to be cornered into believing. No one wants to be cornered. You know, for me, it's such a beautiful example of this. I forgot even who said this, but it was a friend of mine. And we were talking about our, our spiritual journeys. And I asked him, so what, you know, he's, this is someone who's keeping the Torah, and keeping Shabbos. And I asked him, so what made you want to do this? And you ready for this? You ready for this answer? He said, I ran out of excuses. I ran out of excuses not to. Isn't that unbelievable? Now that's an example of someone who wasn't debated into it. That's an example of someone who was internalizing and processing, and he won his own internal debate. And, you know, I, I would put myself in that, that category also in terms of describing my process. Just looking around and saying, you know, the truth's not here and the truth's not there and the truth's not there. And, you know, I knew where the truth was. I knew that the truth was in Hashem. I knew that the truth was in the Torah. I knew it. I'll tell you, one of the most uncomfortable experiences I ever had in my life, I'm being serious, is I spoke at Harvard. And I was talking about, I guess, my Jewish journey there. This was a long time ago, many years ago. Um, and, and I got to this point where I said these words. I said, and I realized, you know, I, I was talking about the, the different blessings that I had experienced and different things that I had achieved on the, on, on the road to kind of deciding that I wanted to start keeping Shabbos and things like this. And I said, you know, and I, after I accomplished this or I accomplished that or whatever it was, I, I, it was great. I was very happy. I enjoyed it. But I, I said to myself, but the truth isn't here. And the truth isn't there. And I said, you know, I, I really wanted to go to Harvard. I got into Harvard and I got here and I had a great experience. But I saw the truth isn't here. And there was uh, a person in the audience who said, like with a, a real edge to her voice, she said, yes, it is. And I said, no, it isn't. And she said, yes, it is. And I said, no, it isn't. And she stood up and she left the room. And it was intense. It was intense. It really was. Suffice it to say that that was the last time I've spoken at Harvard. <laughs> um, so, anyway, what can I tell you? What can I tell you? The idea is that that if we want peace, if we want inner peace, we have to expand. We have to have larger vessels in order to hold the ever-increasing light that's coming into us. And 
You know, there's a story that I really love. While the Lubavitcher Rebbe, um, Shlita, was still alive in Brooklyn at 770 at the Chabad headquarters there, it was on Shabbos, and the Hasidim were singing, you know, you know, very enthusiastically, we want Mashiach now, we don't want to wait. And someone came up to the Rebbe, because it was Shabbos, and said, you know, Rebbe, the, it says in the, in the Talmud that Mashiach is not going to come on Shabbos. So why is everyone singing, we want Mashiach now, it's Shabbos right now, we don't want to wait. So the Rebbe's answer was unbelievable. He says, he said to the man, he said, he said, let Mashiach come now on Shabbos, and then he can explain to us how it is that he was able to come on Shabbos. <laughs> so, so that's the thing. God, God wants to bless us. He, he wants to bless us with the most, 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 most. But if we're bringing a small cup to him, then, 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 then what's it going to be? You see, I'll tell you something very, very deep. There are two words in the Torah that, that begin many verses. Okay, one is Vahaya, and the other is Vayahi. And basically, they both more or less mean the same thing, which is, it's like an introduction to a thought, which is, and it, and it will be, or and it came to pass, you know, like it's an, kind of an introductory word. And the Gomorrah in Megillah says these two words are actually very, very different, even though they kind of have the same meaning, more or less, they're actually very different. Vayahi portends something negative about to happen. Vahaya portends something very positive is about to happen. So interesting, different, different, different meanings. So when I saw that, I decided that I wanted to look at the letters of both of the words and see maybe there's a teaching within the letters of these words. And I noticed that both words had all the letters of God's holiest name, the Yudke Vavke. But there was a difference. With the word Vayahi, which portends something negative, there were two Yuds and one He. And Vahaya, which portends something positive, was the exact letters that you see in God's holiest name. Right? A Yud, two He's, and a Vav. So it was Vahaya is actually perfectly in harmony with Hashem's holiest name, whereas Vayahi, Vayahi has two yuds and only one hey. Well, okay, so what's a yud and what's a hey? What's the meaning of that? And why does that produce something negative? Okay. Well, first of all, we know that only good comes from God. So this is going to give us a very deep insight into the nature of catastrophe. Because if only good comes from God, we see so much suffering in the world, and everything like this. So, so how can we understand it, at least on a very simple level? Okay. You see, the letter Yud is 
perhaps, or I think it is, the most exalted letter of the Aleph base. Even the letter Aleph, which is the first letter of the Aleph base, the, the upper corner of the letter Aleph is actually the letter Yud. <laughs> so even, even standing atop the Aleph, crowning the Aleph, so to speak, is the letter Yud. And the letter Yud is actually very special and holy because all the letters go down to the, the line on the page or perhaps even below the line. There's only one letter that floats above the line, and that's the letter Yud, you know, which signifies its, you know, awesome holiness, its exaltedness. It's just beyond, right? So, so the letter Hey is a vessel, right? We're talking about shalom. We're talking about holding, holding the light in a vessel. We need vessels. We need good containers. And again, what's a container? One hour of Torah study a week, that's a container. One hour of Torah study a day, that's a much bigger container. You understand? It's, it's our actions that create these containers. It's our actions which create these vessels. So the letter Yud is, is a point where the divine light emanates. So if you've got divine light, that's like, that's wow. That's, you know, a, a zillion cores of the sun. So you need big containers for that. So in the name of Hashem, you've got one Yud and two Hays. In other words, you need big containers, big containers to hold all that light. And so the word Vahaya, which is the positive word, it's got one Yud. That's the emanation of the light and two haze, two big vessels to hold the light. Fantastic. You've got harmony. Everything is good. Aha. Now let's go back to Vayahi. What's going on with Vayahi, which portends something negative? Well, isn't it interesting that you've only got one container, one hay, and two emanators of light? <laughs> How are you going to hold all that light? Two yuds and only one hay. Okay, so now we can get to the actual teaching. Do you know what negative times are? Because when you when you begin a sentence with that word vayahi, the Talmud tells you something negative is going to happen. But I thought only good comes from God. So how do we define negativity? And you ready? It's when you don't have enough vessels or a large enough vessel to hold all the light. And if you don't have the vessels to hold the light because there's too much light, it manifests itself as catastrophe. And with that in mind, we can understand something very, very deep, which seems like a total contradiction about what, what seems to be the day of catastrophe on the Jewish calendar, which is the ninth of Av, Tisha B'Av, which is coming up. Remember, that's the day that the Holy Temple was destroyed, both Holy Temples, the Spanish Inquisition was ordered. World War I started on Tisha B'Av, you can look it up. And every historian will tell you that World War II was an extension of World War I. 
So the Holocaust, so to speak, you can trace to Tisha B'Av. And truckload, tr- tr- cartloads and cartloads and cartloads of Talmuds, handwritten Talmuds was, were burned by the alleged St. Louis, like some saint, right? What a disaster that guy was. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? And he's a saint? That a religion would call a guy like that a saint? What a catastrophe. You ever wonder how it is that Rashi, you can't learn the Chumash, you can't learn the Torah without Rashi. Rashi was French. So where are all the great French rabbis after Rashi? There should be hundreds and hundreds of years worth of amazing giant rabbis in France. You know why there aren't any for the most part? Because all the Talmuds got burned by St. Louis. On Tisha B'Av. On the other hand, we say Mashiach is born on Tisha B'Av. Right? It's the birthday of, of, of the Messiah on the 9th of Av. So how do you have both of those things going together? And there's a very straightforward explanation based on what we just learned. Because there's so much light coming down and we didn't have the vessels to hold it. And so it manifested itself as destruction. And do you know why we didn't have the vessels to hold it? Because we were busy hating each other for no reason. You want to shrink a vessel? Hatred's going to shrink a vessel faster than anything. You want to really shrink a vessel? How about hatred for no reason whatsoever? That is the the ultimate, the the, the ultimate anti-expansion. The ultimate anti-expansion. So I heard in the name of Rav Cook that if sinas chinam, causeless hatred, brought us down to this low level, then avas chinam, loving each other for no reason, is the answer. Right? And then we can expand our vessels and hold the light. You know, with this in mind, let me just explain to you the apocalypse the so-called apocalypse. We have this idea, we don't, apocalypse is not a Torah word, but it's a fun word anyway, (laughs) fun sounding word, so I'll use it. Um, We we call the the war of Gogu Magog, right? Which is this great war that's been prophesied at the end of days. And you should just know something which is very important to know which is that we have a rule, which is that every positive commandment that's been prophesied has to come true, and not one negative prophecy has to come true. Everything good has to come true. Nothing bad has to come true. It just depends on us whether the negative has to happen or not. In other words, God is going to bring about these things but if he doesn't have to bring them about in that way, he won't. Because God is, chas v'shalom, God forbid, not a sadist. He's not, he just, it's, it's just a question, do we have vessels for it? If we have vessels, then these things manifest themselves in a beautiful way. If we don't, it comes down in a negative way. It manifests itself as destruction. 
And the best example, well, the example that I just gave you is a pretty darn good one, the ninth of Av. But now I'm going to show you how that even plays out in the end of days. What, what is the end of days, so to speak? What, what does that mean exactly? Well, it's a very simple, beautiful idea. Heaven and earth become one. Heaven and earth become one. That, that's what it is. It's this beautiful, harmonious fusion. That's what it is. That is the world to come. That is Olam Haba. Okay? Now, it says, when we got the Torah at Mount Sinai, it said that heaven descended. And why was heaven able to descend without causing this destruction? Because before we accepted the Torah, it said that the Jewish people were like one person with one heart. Like one person with one heart. The opposite of causeless hatred. We were one beautiful, united soul, which is the ultimate vessel. And so when heaven came down to earth, we were able to receive the Torah. Unbelievable. It's no secret. It's no secret how it was done, how to do it. And we can do it again. We can do it again, but we have to be focusing on the right things. Making peace with each other. Loving each other. Right? Remember, the Kutzka Rebbe says, you're not surprised when you meet someone who doesn't look like you. So why are you surprised when you meet someone who doesn't think like you? Why is that so endlessly shocking to everyone? You know, grow up. Grow up. So Reb Shlomo said that he was going to Germany and he was met at the airport with television crew cameras from the German news stations. And someone asked him, do you hate us? And he answered back, if I had two hearts, I could have one for loving and one for hating. He says, but I only have one heart. So what can I do? I have to use it for loving. So in the end of days, what's going to happen is heaven and earth are going to come together. Okay, but here's the big catch. Here's the big catch. A tremendous, like a quantum level of light is going to come down. And we better have vessels for it. If we have vessels for it, then it's going to be this smooth transition into the next era of the destiny for the world. If we don't have vessels for it, it's going to crash down and manifest itself as destruction. Do you see? Very, very simple, really. Very, very simple. And then ultimately, it's up to us. Are we expanding our vessels to hold more light? And so I'm just going to end by repeating again, just very, very practically. The answer is more. The answer is more. And you have to answer for yourself what that means. (laughs) 
Thanks for listening. We do this every week, so join in again next Sunday for a new podcast where we explore the amazingness of life. And review us and send in any comments or suggestions. I'd love to hear them.